All right, Mercy, so glad, so glad to be here. So glad to open the word with you. Hey, today we have all of our kiddos with us. We don't have children's ministry. This will be a great opportunity right now for us to honor all of our teachers. So hey, if you're a teacher, would you kind of raise your hand here at Mercy Church? Raise your hand. Don't, don't be shy. I see one. I, yeah, yeah. Higher, higher, higher. Can we give them a big hand? Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you for leading the ministry. You're awesome. Well, would you open your Bibles, if you have them, to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going through the book of Ephesians this whole summer, verse by verse. We are in a current series, the first two chapters called We've Moved. It's all about our new spiritual identity that's in Christ. So I'm going to read 10 verses. We're going to jump in. So excited for today. And it says this, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which once you walked following the course of this world, following the price, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness Toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now this passage divides into three parts. And it's all about grace. The first three verses is us before grace. Verses four through nine is us meeting the grace of God. And verses 10, living in grace. Let's pray. God, we honor you. And Lord, today we are speaking on the majestic salvation work you've, you've done in your son and God, I pray that those who are saved would again have the joy of salvation. That those who are saved would again have rivers of gratitude flowing out of their hearts for what you have done. That maybe there's somebody today who's forgotten they're saved or has forgotten the wonder of it all. God, restore it to us. We want to know how precious you are. And God, if there's someone here today who's not saved, we pray that this gospel would come in and illumine the heart and draw the person to you. In your name we pray, amen. So let's talk about the first part, us before grace, us apart from grace. So one of the most important things and the questions that you may have asked before, and that is, have you ever asked the question, how bad is it? 
How, how bad is it? I, I think, I actually don't think, I know that for us to appreciate what God has done for us in Jesus, we cannot do so without realizing, getting our hands around how bad and miserable and hopeless we were without Jesus. You see, unless we get the right diagnosis, we will not get the right remedy. Uh, I think how bad is it? I think about my life and think about our family life. And, um, you know, when kids get hurt, the first thing we want to know is, like, how bad is it? Now, when you have your first kid, you, have, you need to know this. Your first kid you're all in. Like, you take care of them like crazy. You worry about them. You do everything for them. Both parents, just you're all in. The kid coughs. You're taking one week off from work. You're WebMD. You are figuring it out. You're trying every home remedy. You know, second, third, fourth kid. I mean, in our case, fourth kid, it's like the kid has fever, and you're like, ah, he'll handle it. Now, one of the funniest stories Albina and I have about getting this question wrong, how bad is it? I got to tell you this. This is really embarrassing. Once our kid cut his finger, had blood coming out, we put a Band-Aid on it, and then the blood kept coming. We put another Band-Aid, and it started to slow, but it still kept flowing, the blood from his thing. I look at Albina, Albina looks at me, and we're like, hey, this is not an owie, this is not a boo-boo, this is life or death. So here's what we do in frantic state. We get into the car, we rush to the emergency, we get into the check-in, and we're like, here, we have this kid, and we have an emergency. And as the nurse was checking us in, you know, and we gave her their names, and then they're like, what's wrong with the child? We, we told them what's wrong with the child, it kind of just set in on us, like, what are we doing in an emergency room? Like, seriously, you guys, as we're checking in, we're like, listen, we're so sorry. There's no emergency. We turn around, and I promise you, the 50 feet out of that hospital was a walk of shame. It was like, are you serious? Like, who comes to an emergency room and then in checking out, like, never mind. And we got it wrong. We thought it was bad. It wasn't bad. But also the opposite is true. When something can be really bad and we think it's not that bad. And I want you to know something, that apart from Jesus, apart from grace, things are really, really bad. Things are drastically hopeless. And unless we get that, unless we realize our condition, we will always think religion is an option. We will always think there's something that we can do to fix it. And verses 1, 2, and 3 lays out the hopeless condition. So let's stay here. Look at what Paul says here. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now the word sins and trespasses are different. Usually when we use the word sin, we mean to encompass all different types of words for sin, iniquity, trespasses, transgression, disobedience, rebellion. But here, Paul makes a distinction. This is important for us to know. What's the difference between trespasses and sins? Trespasses is the idea of crossing a known boundary. Sin is an archery word. It means to shoot at a target and fall short of the target. I want you to hear this. There are two types of sin. 
Sins of commission and sins of omission. Sins that we do what we're not supposed to do and sins where we don't do what we're supposed to do. Trespasses speaks to the sins of commission. That is, we are willfully stepping across a known boundary. So we sin. We lie. We bear false witness. We covet. We lust. We hate. But sins here is failing to do what we are supposed to do. Failing as a husband to love your wife like Christ loves the church. Failing as a believer to clothe the naked, feed the hungry, visit the prisoner, take out your wallet and be generous for the kingdom. It's failing to do what we're supposed to. And here's what Paul says. Because of both of these sins, we get all the sins. Stuff we do that we shouldn't do and stuff we don't do that we should do. And guess what? Because of this, the result is death. Now, some commentators say this is like metaphorical language. And I really disagree. That sounds really sophisticated. That's because I read other commentators who say that this word death is literal. Spiritually, we are dead. We are unresponsive to God. You know, like you go to a cemetery and you preach, nobody's going to say amen. Nobody's going to listen. Unresponsive. That's how we are to God. We are dead. We are apart from God. We are separated from God. And this is why every believer who's here, you have an amazing testimony. Every testimony is a testimony that's a story of a miracle. You ever think about how we think of testimonies? We often think there's powerful testimonies, people's story of how God changed them, and then there's average testimony. What's a powerful testimony? Man, and I don't know why you would say man, but man, I was I was a gangster, I did crime day and night. You know, I ran away from my home early on. I was in jail for multiple, multiple sessions. I, you know, I, I was on the verge of death. I almost ended my life and God saved me. And everybody says, whoa, amen. Now somebody else has a testimony and they're like, you know, grew up in a Christian home. Ever since I was little, I read the Bible 18 times. I, I know all the Bible verses. You know, I never really got into stealing, killing, well, excuse me, hating. I never did much. And at age 13, God saved me. And we're like, that was more like a praise report. As if to say that if we're a little better, we're less death, dead. As if to say there's a nicer form of death. If you are a believer... It doesn't matter who you were prior to you meeting Jesus, but when you believe personally in Christ, your testimony is a testimony of a miracle of going from death to life. Everybody's testimony is a powerful testimony. It is a miracle-working God who raised you from death to life. So Paul says we were dead. He doesn't stop there. He goes and he gives us the second piece of our condition. So how bad is it? 
Well, being dead, you can't get any worse. But he gives us a second element of our broken condition. And he says this, we were enslaved. Now notice he's going to give us three things that apart from God we are in chains to. Number one, following the prince, excuse me, following the course of this world, the world. And let me number two, following the prince of the power of the air, being enslaved to Satan. And then in verse three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, being enslaved to our flesh. So, apart from Christ, we are dead. Apart from Christ, we are enslaved to the world, to devil, to the flesh. Let me talk about each one real quick. There is a world that is inconsistent and in rebellion to God. And the world here means like a culture, like norms and views and ideas and values and ideals that are completely out there in the world opposite of the Bible. And listen to this. A lot of Christians have lost sight of the fact that there is a world. Think about entertainment options. Think about how we inhabit public spaces. Think about all the things that come at us on our screens and in our speakers. We think like, that's just neutral. But there's a world that is opposite of God's word. That forms you, shapes you. Listen, long time ago, now if you are a Christian here and you probably have somebody in your family where you remember there was a debate whether or not Christians can watch television. Remember that? That was like 20 years ago for me. There was a real debate whether Christians can listen to, to secular music. And then what happened? Well, we got smart. We got biblical. We're like, show me in the Bible where you can't do this. Then we made fun of it. But think about the extreme Christianity finds itself today in, where we swallow and consume wholesale all the values, all the ideals of this world that are inconsistent with Scripture, and we do so unquestionably and unsuspiciously. I wouldn't say don't watch this, don't listen to that, but you need to be aware of that there is a world with values that are opposite of the Word of God. I was reading, listen, I've been preaching a long time, like six or seven Sundays in a row. I feel like today I'm coming off like unhinged, just all my screws are loose. So I'm just going to keep on going over here. Um, I was reading a study by Barna. Barna is a Christian organization. And they do surveys and research on Christian attitudes, views. And in 2019, they released this, this finding. And it says this, that almost 50% of practicing Christian millennials say that evangelism is wrong. Think about this. 50% almost 50% of practicing Christian millennials. Millennials are between 80 and 2000. They're the avocado toast generation. That generation, my generation, says that evangelism, sharing the gospel with people, is not hard. It's not awkward. It's not something they're not doing. 
It's morally wrong. Where do people get that attitude? It does not come from the Word of God. In fact, reading the Word of God would only heighten your burden for every day you fail to share the good news of Jesus. That attitude, 100% without a doubt, comes from being formed and shaped and molded by the world. So I want church, Mercy Church, you know, everything we do, we have a purpose. You're called. You're holy. You're separate. You're meant to be different. Beware of the world out there. You're called to something else. But Jesus set us free, but notice that we were enslaved. Now, the second thing we're enslaved to is the devil, the prince of the air. Now, that word in the air means that he is invisible. He is unseen. And without Christ, we are in chains to him. And his goal is simple. Kill Steal and destroy. And oftentimes he does so by sowing lies. And number three, the flesh. Now the flesh is not your skin and bone. Your flesh here includes your mind. It is the nature that you have that is opposite of God. Seeks to do the exact opposite of what God calls you to do. So notice, we are enslaved to three things. So we are dead, number one. Number two, we are enslaved to three things. And number three, how's it, how bad is it, guys? It's, it's not good. But number three is really the top. In verse three, it says the, half, the second half of the verse, verse three says, we're by nature children of wrath. Hmm. That's not the God I know. Children of wrath. What does that mean? It means that God, uh, the word wrath can mean and often means anger. It means God's angry. And we're children. We are objects of God's wrath. Now, why so? How come? That's not good. I want to just show you something about what God's wrath is. See, God's wrath is not like our anger. We often get angry for the wrong reasons, like somebody driving slow in front of us. We sometimes wake up angry. Our anger can be whimsical. God's anger is anger at sin and evil. And God is uncompromising. You can sometimes, I don't know if you do ever do this, but we're like, you know, we let things slide. We, you know, put things under the rug. That's not God. You see, we often love these things, don't we, about God? His kindness, His holiness, His love, His compassion, His righteousness, His justice. One thing we don't really like to talk about is God's wrath, that God is angry with sin. And we often can separate the two as if, you know, it's a dark side of the moon for God. Like, we, we don't talk about it. We love God's compassion. We love God's love, but wrath? You mean God is angry at sin? That doesn't compute. I love the God who is love. Now, I want you to see something, church, because this opened my mind. The very things that we really love and gravitate towards, here's what happens. Here's what happens when God's love, here's what happens when God's kindness Here's what happens with God's holiness. Here's what happens with God's righteousness. Here's what, God, what happens when God's compassion meets 
sin in the world. It equals the outcome is wrath. See, the very, very things we love about God and think they're different from God's wrath are the very, very things that produce the outcome of wrath. Because if God is love, then he doesn't overlook the evil, the exploitation, the dehumanization, all the hate that happens. If God is compassionate, he cannot stand by when his children are tearing each other up with division. If God is kind, he, like a good parent, but so much more, million, trillion times more, is righteous, so he is angry at sin. So church, how bad is it without grace? Dead, enslaved, and the wrath of God. And I want you to see something. What we need is not a rescue. We need a resurrection. Now, calm down. Rescue. I'm telling myself, calm down. We can express how God saves us in different ways. He rescues us. He repairs us. He makes us whole. He brings us out and plants us on the rock. He reaches in when we're sinking. Those are great, great, great ways to describe God's salvation. But I want you to see that fundamentally, we are not sinking in need of God's rescue. We've sunk in need of God's resurrection. We're not somebody who can fix and figure it out. We are in need. We are completely gone. Without God, there's nothing. So what are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this? Um, how do we get out of this? How do we become alive? Because we're dead, freed, or reigning because we're enslaved and at peace with God. Well, verse 4 says this. But we cleaned up our act and became good people. Is that in the Bible? Sorry. Here's what it says. But we started obeying the principles Jesus taught. That's how we get saved. That's how we become alive. That's how we get freed. That's how we, I don't know, the third point. I just blanked out. Okay, how about this one? Here's how we get saved. We try to be the best version of ourselves we could be. None of those. Thank God human authors didn't just author this. Here's what the Bible says. But God. But God. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Now, notice those two, three-letter words, but God. My favorite preacher, one of my favorite preachers, Martin Lloyd-Jones in the 20th century, said that the gospel fits or basically can be encapsulated in those two, three-letter words, but God. I love this about God. It means he steps in. He doesn't just, he, sw- he comes in into our mess to do something. But God, but God, but God. Listen, we don't use the word but the way God uses it. You ever notice how we use the word but? We start with good news. We end with bad news. We start with beauty, and then we end with ashes. 
We have the word but in the middle. A manager calls you over. Hey, I want to talk to you. You are awesome. You're an incredible worker. You're always on time. And what do we all know? But's coming. And the but means bad news is coming. So we're like, give me the but. What's the but? Anytime somebody ever compliments any one of us, we're like, where's the but? Um, this is how gossip works, right? She's so incredible. Yeah. Get that out of the way. The real meat, the butt, everything else. We start with glory. We end with ashes. But God, with his two-letter, two-word, two, three-letter words, starts with ashes and ends with beauty. He starts with bad news and ends with good news. In the entire Bible, over 40 times we read the word but God. I'm going to read just four of them. You ready? For one can scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about, as many people should be kept alive as they are today. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. Church, how do we go from being dead, enslaved? We go when God intervenes. How do we go from being dead, enslaved children of wrath? But God. Every believer here, your testimony has a but God moment. But God. And here's what God does. He made us alive. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So we get there, by grace, you are saved. Saved by grace. The second part is God meets us with his grace. We are dead, we are enslaved, we are children of wrath, but God meets us where we are and gives us life. Meets us where we are and sets us free. Meets us where we are and absorbs the punishment you and I deserve, the wrath of God that was meant for us. This is God. Saved by grace. Now notice this. What are we saved from? We go from death to life. We go from being enslaved to being, well, excuse me, death to life. We'll read this right now in the Ephesians verse. We go to the next slide. He made us alive. The second piece of how God takes us out of our condition is he, we were enslaved, 
but he has us reigning. What's interesting is in Ephesians chapter um, verse 5 and 6, it talks about how we are reigning with Christ. We are raised with Christ, then we are seated with Christ, and we are reigning with Christ. Now, remember in last Sunday, we talked about how Jesus was raised to heaven and seated on the, at the right hand of the Father far above all rule, all dominion, all authority, and all power. Here's what we get with Christ. We are saved by grace. That in Christ we are so identified with him that we too are reigning over the things that we were enslaved to. We were enslaved to Satan. And guess what God did? In Genesis, it was already promised that he will crush his head you get to be free from the chains and bondage of the devil. We are saved from death. He made us alive, but we are also, excuse me, we are also freed from the world. Jesus says that he overcame the world. We are also get to live in victory over our flesh because in Christ we get to have crucified our flesh with its passions and desires. So, but God, but God saves us by grace. Saved by grace. And the third one is we were objects of wrath, and now we are at peace with God. First Thessalonians chapter 10 says, chapter 1, verse 10 says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. This peace is a Jesus. That wrath we talked about, the sins that you and I personally commit, on which God had his wrath coming. God's wrath, by the way, is not just God's anger. It is God's condemnation and judgment of evil. And it was stored up for every single one of us. And yet Jesus delivers us from the wrath. He absorbs it. In his own flesh. So we are saved by grace. Now, we are dead. We are enslaved. We are objects of wrath. We do not fix ourselves. Salvation is by grace. Here's what it means. This circle is God's grace to you. This is God's gift to you. This is not something you can deserve. This is not something you can earn. This is not something you can do of yourself. God, the salvation that you and I need is a gift of God. Grace means unmerited, undeserved favor. It, another way of saying it is a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift freely, freely given by God. So how do we get saved God saves us. All we ever do is receive it. Church, this is one of the hardest things to understand. Sometimes it takes decades to figure this out. Because most of the time, we're trying to earn our salvation. We're trying to either earn the salvation of God, or we're trying to fix our, all the issues ourselves. And salvation is a gift by grace. I was talking to um, at a DOL place to a, bro, to, to a guy who was um, a Muslim. 
And we started talking, and obviously we started talking about God. We started talking about theology, about how salvation works in Islam. And he told me this. Here's how in Islam you get saved. Obeying. Being a good person. And I'm like, how do you know if you're good enough? It's the balance. The good has to outweigh the bad. And I'm like, how do you know if the good is outweighing the bad? He says, because God will like bless you in certain ways in life. I mean, look, that's not Christianity. That's not how Christianity works. Christianity is not us deserving, earning the gift of God of salvation. Christianity is God freely gives it to you. You receive it through faith. Some of us are still living trying to earn. We get keys and we'll be wrapping up, but some of us are still trying to earn our salvation. And it's a gift of God. Now, we also see here why God does this. Why would God rescue us freely? Why would God give us the gift of salvation so freely? And we have two reasons here. Number one, in verse four, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Number one, it's who God is. Why would God do this? Why would God come to rescue us from our condition? He is rich in love and mercy. It's who he is. And you can never, ever, ever explain it. You, you can never, ever, like, bottom out and say, here's how God loves us. He's so rich, it's beyond our minds. He loves us so much. And number two, we see this in verses 7. God wanted to show off his kindness. So why does God save us by grace? Number one, he's so loving. He's so merciful. Number two, verse 7, he wanted to show off his grace so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you know what that says? You, as a follower of Jesus, get to live life being a monument to God's immeasurable mercy. In other words, God wanted to show how kind he is. God wanted to show off how gracious he is. And he decided to use your life, you as a believer, on which to display God's grace. This is incredible. I was thinking of an example and one of the richest persons, and this example will have its limits, but just go with me. The richest person in the world right now is Elon Musk. $220 billion. That's what he has. Now imagine with me, and this is such a bad example because God is so much more, but imagine if Elon Musk, you know, how do rich people show off their wealth? Well, they buy... Um, Yachts, private jets, mansions, they travel on big vacations, they buy new companies. But let's just say that Elon Musk didn't do any of that. He decided to display his wealth by spending on you. You would consider yourself to be the most fortunate person 
on the planet. All of you would sign up for that. I mean, he's going to show off his wealth on me? I, there's no limit to the, what he's going to buy for me. He'll buy me everything. The world, to be honest. God, in his grace and immeasurable love, wanted to show off his immeasurable kindness. He decided to pour it out and display it on you. Some of you here have doubted whether God loves you, whether God loves you, and all along you have been a display, a monument of his immeasurable, incalculable, incomprehensible love. God wanted to show, I wanted to do this because we have some Generation Z, they have slang. And I'm going to use this word right now, forgive me, church, flex. God wanted to flex his love. He wanted to show off his kindness. And he chose to do it on you, for you. Why? To show it off to you. Why? His love, his grace. His immeasurable kindness. That's who God is in His Son. So how do we get saved? How do we go from this treacherous condition that we find ourselves in by His grace, by God doing this for us? Why? Because He is love. Not our works, not our contribution, not our resumes because of who God is. Now imagine if this guy, Elon Musk, spent so much on you and you um, decided to take out your wallet. And you decided, you came up, hey, Elon, I know you have this yacht for me, but uh, I wanted to pay for it. How ridiculous would that look? How, I mean, what? what? You, you have nothing to offer. God's gift is so indescribable that the only thing that you can do is receive it. You have nothing to offer back. There is no earning. There is no purchasing. All there ever is is faith. 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 Saved by grace. Saved. God doing all this stuff because God is full of favor and kindness by faith, through faith. And faith means trusting God. Faith means receiving from God the gift. This is wild. Every religion and human nature wants to work its way up to God. But the gospel message is God coming in to us, saving us by grace. And notice real quick, in verse 10, we get living in the grace of God. Good works, obedience matters. But it is no longer going to be, or we're no longer going to die trying. It's no longer going to be the root of salvation. It is now the fruit of salvation. God did this for us. He saved us by grace through faith. And now we are his workmanship, which means we are his masterpiece created in Christ for good works. What kind of works? All kinds of good works. 
all kinds of obedience. Living for God, spreading the kingdom, being full of the Spirit, being full of the fruit of the Spirit. It's living for God. That's the kind of works God has made you for. We don't just get saved to relax. We've got a job to do. There's a world that needs the message of Jesus. There's brokenness in the world that needs healing. So works, obedience matters. And it is always present when those who have truly received the gift of grace. So I want to pray with you right now. I want to pray with you right now. And I want to have one, just one call today. And it's this. Have you received the free gift of life from God through faith? And all you ever have to do is trust, open your heart, believe in Jesus. And listen, maybe this can be today, tonight. You go home, you get on your knees, and you pray and say, God, I believe you. I receive this gift that you have won for me, a free charge. I receive it. Or maybe it can be today. So with every head bowed, I'm going to pray with you right now. If you're here today and you want to receive the gift of life, the free gift of God's grace through faith, I want to pray with you. If that's you today, would you raise your hand right now? There's no shame in raising your hand. Amen. Amen. I see your hand. I see your hand. This is a sweet moment, church. I'm going to pray right now. Jesus, thank you so much for what you have done in Christ. Lord, we recognize that you did this all out of your abundant love. You died for our sins. And God, we are saved by grace, by your favor, by your gift of love through faith. And God, I pray with those who have raised their hands right now. God, we thank you. We honor you. God, forgive us of our sins. We trust in you. We believe in you. And God, I'm also praying right now for those of us who've lost our joy of salvation. God, I pray that it would be back. I pray that we would open our hearts and our mouths with praise, praising you for what you have done. And God, I'm also praying for those Christians who struggle with grace, who seek to live by works, who maybe started out with grace, but today are trying to earn your favor, earn your forgiveness. God, I pray that this sermon and your Holy Spirit would course correct them. They would live in your lavish love, God. In your name I pray, amen.